This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers charges margin loan rates from 5.08% to 6.08%? Their clients can also earn extra income by lending their fully paid shares of stock. Join Interactive Brokers clients from over 200 countries and territories around the world to invest in stocks, options, futures, funds, and bonds on a global basis. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. Rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. From the outhouse to the penthouse, cash, that is. GDP comes in well above expectations. Inflation, it's not relaxing. Consumer discretionary stocks are totally out of favor, but AI is the buzz these days. A quick lesson on risk management, all this, and much more on episode number 805 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Very good day to you. Here we are. It's the end of February 2023 already. And all things considered, if you really think about it, markets generally speaking, you know, I mean, there's been some bumps and grinds. There's been some potholes here and there. But generally speaking, this year to date, if we look at the totality of 2023, you got to think that with all the hot mess that's out there, all the headwinds that are going on, everything here and around the world, you know, the markets have held up pretty darn well. Quick intro, I'm Andrew Horowitz, by the way. I'm a certified financial planner. Been working in this field of investments and finance since the early part of, well, actually late part of 1980s and, and really uh, in, in, got my CFP right in the beginning of 1990s. So what I'm talking about here is not just flippant hypothetical. It's not just, well, maybe academia. Let's just take a book and let's look at it and then let's read through it and regurgitate it on a podcast. No, it's not. It is not one of these discussions of, you know, well, maybe I'm an amateur investor, but I just love to hear my voice. No, it's not that at all. What it is, is the reality of facts, information, and experience that I have garnered over the last several decades. I'm not that old, by the way, but, you know, I've been working at this for a very long time. I've been through a few rounds of inflation and deflation, and now disinflation, whatever the hell that exactly means. I've seen booms. I've seen busts. I've seen crazy thing happen. Happen like 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 we we saw back in the two thousands, the Y two K incredible excitement, like we saw with blockchain and we saw with AI going on. I've seen things like housing busts that nobody supposedly saw, nobody saw coming, which is preposterous, by the way, because it was clear as day back then to me. Our team, we thought, hey, you know what? Uh, looks pretty much like there's going to be a major problem in the housing area. And I've been through the trenches working with clients on all these matters in good times and bad. And the point I'm making here is, you know, I want to 
to, to really focus in on the fact of what you're getting here on a weekly basis is the culmination of what I've been dealing with throughout the week, and now I'm giving it to you. So the, the benefit for, for you is that. The secondary benefit for me when I have guests especially is to learn from them. And third is I get the opportunity. And why I do this is to really consolidate my thoughts on one of the most important things that are going on, some lessons right here and right now. And that's what we do actually for people just like you. So if you're thinking about, you know, what to do now, like what what should I actually be thinking about? Is it a time to really push in, pull out? Is it, is it a time to buy this, do that? Should I buy a house? Should I refinance or not? Should I invest in alternatives or in commodities? Well, I will tell you, if you're not exactly sure, that's what we're here for. So let's get talking. In fact, for March, I do this every year, something like this. In the month of March, my birthday month, I do something to help out. So I'm going to personally have conversations with anyone who is serious about considering becoming a client. So you can go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com. You can click on some of the various places that there to get in touch. And, and, and if you want to set up a meeting throughout the month of March, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend time with you and we're going to spend time talking about your situation, what to do, how to do it to get you to where you want to go. Even if you don't exactly know where you want to go, you know you need to move forward. And we're going to help you set up a roadmap. Now, what kind of things is there to talk about right now? And when we think about the last week and we look back, we're not going to go too far back right now. We're going to look at the last week or so. And I think that we need to really focus in on what happened because during this last week, we had the worst day of 2023 thus far. Dow Jones got smoked. The NASDAQ was down 2.5% earlier this week. Um, came back a little bit, but then failed again after the GDP report. And, you know, again, ups and downs throughout the week. Point is, there's a lot of overhead resistance. And we've talked about this. We've talked about, like, how the hell is the valuation of the S&P 500 at the level it is considering all the things that we know there? We've talked to Frank Curzio about that. We talked to, um, uh, even in a, on a technical basis, we talked last week to Brian Shannon, uh, talked to some hedge fund managers, right? We've talked with a lot of people about the same question. How can we reconcile the fact that the S&P 500 was, is 4,100, let's say, and Earnings are like, you know, 200. I told you about my conversation with the gent from Merrill Lynch a couple of weeks back when I had that breakfast and how he was like just flippantly talking about a $200 earnings on the S&P 500 moving forward. And I said, hold on, I don't understand. How is that possible to get a 21 times multiple considering all that we know right now? So I think it's really important to think about that and understand that there's some strange cross currents going on in the markets right now. But really what happened was last Thursday, like a, a, a week ago, not, not just a few days ago, last Thursday, um, and that would have been what, the 15th? Like the 16th? 16th of the month. The 16th of February, 1.30 in the afternoon, we got some talking heads, the Fed speakers, both Bullard, and then the next day, Mester came out with some conversations about, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a chance that we're going to need to go even further than we've been thinking about on inflation. In particular, Bullard said 50 basis points. 
The market said, <gasps> holy crap. <laughs> that was the sound I heard. When the market rolled over at 130, we put some charts up this week on DH and plugged and showed that it was, it was not, there was no coincidence. It was absolute. The conversation from him and the reaction of the market rolled over dramatically with the thought that, wait, maybe we're not done with this. The whole idea that we're going to have either a pivot, which is kind of long gone, that discussion, or a slowdown and a stoppage of any rate increases very shortly seemed to be totally thrown out the window. And I think when you look at things like the commentary that both Mester made with possibly going, you know, uh, higher for longer and um, Bullard. And then you tack on the PPI, the CPI, uh, all the numbers that we saw, the GDP number that we saw this week also. Um, I think that there's some confusion. And I think the confusion is, is, is something that's resolving and a reality check. The thought that we can come in and out of this so quickly after it's been years, a decade of buildup of massive amounts of debt by the government. And then on top of it, massive amounts of debt by corporations at very low rates that is changing dramatically and utilizing that debt to fund things like stock buybacks, which may not be the case anymore, especially with stock buybacks under fire. All this comes into play at a time when we see an overvaluation of the markets. And therefore, well, you know, people are doing what they do. They're starting to pull back. Because things are costing them more, they're slowing down their spend. And why we're seeing such a downtick in dis consumer discretionary stocks. I mean, did you see what the big box retailers did? You know, the Dillards, the uh, the Macy's, um, all those last week got smoked. We saw Wayfair this week uh, miss earnings, uh, have a very significant decline in, in monthly active users, if there's such a thing on their site. You know, that's kind of a weird thing, but they do report that. Um, Etsy as well. So all of these companies are seeing a slowdown because the consumer is at wit's end. The fact that we saw Walmart and other major companies in the retail space come and say outwardly that they are pushing back on their suppliers for not allowing or accepting any further hikes in cost because they can't absorb it, nor can they pass it on to their consumers anymore because consumers are done. They're tapped. They are no longer able to spend. And what they're doing is going elsewhere. Is why we saw the report from Home Depot this week, very clearly showing that consumers are picking up other areas. And maybe they're spending it on hotels, which we're seeing a big uptick in. Maybe they're spending it on um, other things like restaurants. But again, after a while, the cost for food is getting absurd. Restaurants have no longer decided that they're going to keep pace with the actual numbers. They're just going to keep increasing prices, at least from what I can see. Chicken prices are down 70% year over year. They're higher on the restaurant num numbers. Meat prices significantly lower than they were a year ago. The only major food, a couple of them are here and there, but eggs, okay, put eggs aside. You're not having eggs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Maybe you are. Maybe the creme brulee prices will be higher. Maybe your omelet prices will be higher. Maybe your sabillon sauce for dessert is going to be higher. And who knows, maybe your Bernays sauce. Um, but the fact of the matter is that most other things don't have a lot of eggs in there and, and doesn't need to take over the entire uh, cost factor. Well, here's the rub. Here's the rub. What we thought was going to happen, right? The conventional wisdom and the, frankly, the, the group think was that there was going to be an end in the Fed's process 
of increasing rates, right? Everybody was on the same page that inflation is coming down and the Fed can basically slow their roll. That's what everybody thought. But here's what I want you to think about. What if, what if inflation is not cooling anymore? What if the economy is remaining hot? What if the employment report that we saw last month with a 3 point, uh, what is it, 3.4% low from 1969 on the unemployment rate? And what if the numbers we were seeing at 500,000 additions added, which I can't imagine is actually more the, the right thing what's happening in the economy, where the economy remains hot, then it is uh, some aberration. What if the Fed, here's the question, is still behind the curve? I mean, think about the ramifications for a second, right? I've been thinking about this and I've been going through, wow, what if the Fed is sitting back going, holy crap, not only will we be behind the curve dramatically, but man, we can't catch up. What if the ramifications on what I just talked about, that the reality is the economy still remains very hot, inflation is still there, not really going away, this disinflation talk the Fed's doing is just crap, Ola, push the markets too high, and what if the Fed digs in further and starts to push harder through quantitative tightening and or rate increases that are longer or higher? I want you to think about what actually is going on in the economy, and I like to put this together in something that maybe we could think about that makes a little bit more sense. I want to think about the economy and inflation like a pork butt. <laughs> Seriously, I know that sounds crazy, but think about that. If you've ever cooked a brisket in the smoker or you've ever cooked a pork butt, pork shoulder to make pulled pork, you know, you cook it, let's say it, well, pick your temperature. Some people lower 180, maybe 200, 220. Well, particularly a brisket that goes for like 15 hours, you let it sit there and it just stalls at 155 degrees, somewhere in the, I don't know, the the, the five-hour zone, eight-hour zone. Just like won't get above that temperature. A pork butt sits there at 145, it just will not get above. You know, you want to serve it at 165 and you want to serve your brisket at 200, 202. Okay, good stuff, good information, Horowitz. Thanks so much, but what the hell? Let me continue. The tendency that you have when you see that is, oh, my God, it's never going to cook. I have people coming over. I had a four-hour window from now to get this done. It's not going to happen. The fact, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Simple. You turn up the heat. You crank it up. You overdo it. And then it cooks and it gets dried out. You screwed it up. You did the wrong thing. You got ahead of it too much. You really put the power on. When in fact, if you just let it be, we all know, anybody that's ever done this before, you know, that the brisket or the pork shoulder, it will break the stall. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it starts heating up. As all the heat gets inside and throughout the entire piece of meat. And that's just like the rate increases getting through and transmitting into the entire economy. It takes a while. My fear is that with all the numbers that we're seeing now, we are at a stall point on the economy rolling over and the Fed may actually juice the temperature through either quantitative tightening or higher rates than expected. I think they still need to go further, but I don't think they need to be 
out of their minds, like really crank it up. And I hope the Fed, which I have pretty much no respect for because I think they've done a terrible job. I have respect for them. Let me take it back. I have respect for the people. Their job is done very poorly. They, they, uh, if I was to grade them, I'd get a, maybe a D for the Fed and, and for Powell. I think they have missed many opportunities, but we're not going to get into that. The fact is we're in a stall. Our shoulder, our butt, our brisket is at a stall point. You need to let what is going on and the transmission of the interest rate hikes filter through the entirety of the economy. We're already seeing news reports and headlines that we've seen the greatest drop in overall housing prices in totality. $2 trillion of housing price reductions in value in the last several months. New York. San Francisco, San Francisco taking the brunt. Miami actually doing pretty well. That's where people are coming to. Worse than we saw in 2007, 2008. That's how bad the housing market is in terms of pricing. So if, if, the, if the Fed is going to continue doing what's right or what they're panicked by, because the Fed has really been focusing on the most current information, right? Not their projections, which are usually wrong anyway, but not their projections of what they think is going to happen. They, they feel that, you know, every little piece of data they need to look at. That's a sign of uh, a very short-sighted economist. So I think if I can give any advice to the Fed and Powell, Stop for a second, get a smoker, put it on 200 degrees, study the economy like you would a good smoked brisket. And understand it takes a while sometimes for that heat to get embedded in. And by the way, another little cooking tip here, when you cook a steak on the, on the, on the grill or on the smoker or in the oven, wherever you're doing it, you always want to let rest a little while to really just untighten, relax. So what we need to do is, after we get finished with all this, let the economy relax and let's see what happens before making another move. Which all of this leads me to a few topics I want to explore this week. But before I do so, I want to talk about interactive brokers for a second because interactive brokers has a simple, what they call the IBKR Global Trader app. And it makes it really easy for anyone to invest in stocks on a, on a worldwide basis. You can scan the market for opportunities, deposit into your local currency, and trade stocks in the U.S. and in Canada, Europe, and Asia. So you can take a free trial at IBKR Global Trader and gain instant access to a paper trading account with $10,000 in simulated cash. So in other words, you can play with it before you actually invest to understand how all the complexities of it work and all the opportunities that are there in terms of the tools they have and then put it to use after you have that good training behind you. Put the world in the palm of your hands. Start your free trial today at ibkr.com slash global trader. I highly recommend you check that out. It's pretty interesting on that. So as I mentioned, I want to get into a few different uh, topics because 
if there is all this risk out there, if in fact the Fed is behind the curve, and if what we're seeing right now is just a tip of the iceberg with a revaluation, um, I think there's some things that have happened over the last few weeks that are very interesting to look at, but also some things that we need to be aware of. So first and foremost, I want to talk about the return of AI again, artificial intelligence. You know, this, this buzzword that was out there was really hit hard in a good way for many stocks over the last, what, two months, I guess it is, right? Any company that talked about AI got a boost. Then it faded. And reality set in. <laughs> and everybody was like, okay, you know what? Wow, that flub that we saw from Google maybe tells a lot more that we need to know about the uh, the not ready for prime time aspect of AI. But with the understanding that there is a long-term opportunity there as well. So that's something. Then NVIDIA comes out with earnings this week, right? NVIDIA come out with, um, the, remember, NVIDIA was under severe pressure last year. And the reason was they were no longer associated with the benefits of blockchain. They weren't the blockchain babe, so to speak, right? They weren't the, the king of crypto in terms of tech. The stock itself was really coming in, I mean, hard. I had a few clients that called me about that. And they told, I said, listen, NVIDIA's a good company. Nothing wrong about them long-term. Right now, it's just uh, the, the chip sector is really out of favor. And blockchain and crypto and, and mining is out of favor. And NVIDIA's really been paired with that as the place to be. So when we look at the stock now, the incredible comeback that it's making and its latest earnings just this week came in pretty darn good overall. But what happened was, pretty smart by the company, they added that they are seeing a big demand for the products, for their products in particular, uh, associated with AI, right? The chips that are AI. And they see that there is a significant opportunity moving forward to really utilize uh, their, 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 their chips and their products for the next boom of AI. Stock surge, 14% on the news. Now, the only thing that I find a little off on this whole thing is that all of a sudden, when, the, when there's a really hot topic, they announce this, right? They, they use this as the cornerstone of their earnings announcement. Which, again, if you can, you can, I guess. But my problem is that I would have thought the development of AI over the past year or so would have been something that really they should have seen a significant amount of, of opportunity inside of their earnings already because we saw announcements by Google and, um, and, and um, Bing or Microsoft and their use of chat GPT and those companies and Baidu and you would have th thought that a lot of this was already happening. So why are they announcing this forward and how come they didn't really press this in the past? Or maybe in the past we didn't care as much. I mean, maybe that's a possibility. I don't know. Maybe that's something that's going on there. But the bottom line is, it seems a little suspect. I would like to watch the stock. Um, again, I'm not saying they didn't even talk about this at all. I'm saying that they, this seems odd and a, that they really came and pounded it right now as they know it's a buzzword for investors. So we're going to keep an eye on NVIDIA, if we will. I also wanted to share, before we get into the topic of I think, I think we need to talk about risk management for a second here. But before we do that, I want to talk about um, the TDI managed growth strategy in terms of 
something that I find really interesting. And, and, and it, it's very important when I see these things happening in a big way, like I'm going to share with you, that, that I bring it to you. Because the process of rebalancing the TDI managed growth strategy, which is our equity hedge-like, hedge fund-ish, but not, uh, processing of a quantitative and fundamental and technical analysis of, uh, of, of equities within a portfolio that we could use some hedging and options and things like that in there. But what's interesting about it is the first thing I mentioned, the quantitative side. That's what I want to focus in on because we use a filtering and scoring system that I have utilized and refined over a number of years. As a matter of fact, in the Disciplined Investor, the book itself, which is available on audiobook, uh, there, there's some discussion about how to create a quantitative filter, screening process, if you will where you look at a, a grouping of stocks and you look whether it's a fundamental data point, whether it's technical, and you start to thin out the crowd by adding different aspects in there. You know, there's a book called What Works on Wall Street that I read many years ago. And, um, you know, that was uh, Jim O'Shaughnessy, who's been on the show. We we went through that and I, I created what I thought from all the data points that we looked at and the historical, what were the best data points to look at from a long-term growth aspect of an equity where management is doing what they should be. Earnings growth is consistency, which is a big point and revenue as well. We're looking at things like return on equity. All these things come together and we then take this universe of stocks and pare them down. Well, what's really interesting is we have a rebalancing happening this coming week. Every quarter, we do a rebalancing. We look at what stocks made it through the screen and which didn't. Sometimes the stock will stay on there for a very long period of time. Sometimes it will just be a quarter and come off. Well, what's interesting is that, at least that I, I saw, was that these preliminary results that I saw from the screen, um, there's a lot of differences all of a sudden from the last several quarters. Now, I think I mentioned this to you before, a lot of energy Something I haven't seen in years inside the portfolio. Even starting to see a little bit of financials and real estate, which I haven't seen in years in the portfolio or in the screen. Just is, doesn't make sense to be in there. So these significant changes that are happening is this. We see fewer stocks that have been able to come through this rigorous screen, which tells me that companies are not able to see an acceleration in earnings or meet the returns on um management capabilities, return on equity, share volume, um, a lot of other metrics in there in terms of earnings and, and revenue and, and all sorts of things. But the bottom line is things are getting tougher for companies and that's showing up in their inability to get the check mark to be in the screen, right? The, okay, we'll invest in you. But what's really interesting is that the sectors that are making up the overall portfolio have switched so dramatically over the last several years. As a matter of fact, I would say over the last two years, they've changed dramatically. Industrials and materials and energy, like I said, have become all of a sudden this really interesting part. So now when we look at the performance almost on a daily basis, it's very much correlated with, with energy and oil. You see oil up, markets can be down. You're still making some money on that. Energy has been a great performer for our names, and we're, we're getting even more in there right now, which is frankly shocking to me, but we play by the rules with this portfolio in terms of our core holdings. By the way, $50,000 minimum. If you're interested in investing, um, love to have you as a client. It, it's something that I think you really enjoy. We have a pri private client, uh, 
a site that we write pretty much every day on or every couple of days uh, to take a look at. But really interesting that with the inflationary trends that are out there and the opportunity for other things like commodities to do well, that we have such a strong position in energy right now, in industrials a little bit lighter, and certain technology I find pretty fascinating. So I tell you this because I want you to understand some of the different ways to invest and that sometimes, even though we saw a great run with the energy stocks over 2022, right? There still is an opportunity there because their earnings are just off the charts. The growth of earnings at these levels, what happened is, and, and, and my friend Frank Curzio will talk to this a lot, what happened was during the darkest of times, during the leanest of times when things were really bad, when oil was negative $40 a barrel during the pandemic, where it even got up a bit higher, but but demand was so low. When China was shut down, and basically there was no really great um, uh, demand requirement, companies got lean, which is what's happening with technology now, by the way, but they have a long way to go. The energy companies weren't making money for years, and they thinned out, they leaned out, they technologied up, they got into a different mode. So when all of a sudden the profitability started to roll in from oil getting to the right price, they were a winner. Now, the insanity of anyone trying to consider that they are seeing record profits that should be confiscated is insane. The fact, if you use that same logic, you'd have to say that Apple should have excess earnings tax or a windfall tax because of their great technology. So let's not buy into the political rhetoric and stupidity about that. And I know we're not happy. Oh, gas prices could be less, can be more. But the fact of the matter is that, you know what? Even with all the technology that we have now, all of the um, electric and all energy that we have now, the fact is that oil is still in high demand. And we talked about that uh, just what? Just... Uh, Couple we talked about with with two different guests over the last few weeks. I could I can't remember who we actually talked. I think we talked about that uh, with Thornton, and I think we talked about that. I don't remember who else we talked about that with. But anyway, uh, interesting stuff right there. Our final topic for today and this week is a big one: risk management. Risk management. It's 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 an area that's come up more and more in conversations lately. It, it's, as a matter of fact, in, in my book, there's a, I have a whole chapter on risk management. It's important. It's, it's important to understand the concepts um, because anybody could buy, right? You just buy into something, a stock or, or, or a fund or an ETF or a commodity. Anybody could just simply, oh, I'm going to buy. When do you sell? Is there ever a time to sell? Now, some of you that are buy and hold forevers are like, no, there's never a time to sell. For a lot of us who are a little bit more practical in terms of what we do with our portfolios, there's maybe a time to either sell or consider the area of risk management. But what exactly is this whole point of risk management? What, what, what do I mean by, you know, what is risk management? I mean, we, we could say things like, well, we could diversify using um, risk management as a tool. That's, that's a, a way to do things, right? Insurance is also a risk management tool like life insurance, disability insurance, health insurance, car insurance, portfolio insurance. Maybe things like sell stops are hedges 
or ways to make sure that you don't lose more than. There are options. There are different ways to do it. Risk management is something that most of us don't like to talk about, right? We don't, we don't, especially when we think about like life insurance. When is any of us going to see the benefit of our own life insurance? Not, not going to happen. You're never going to see the benefit. If you ever saw the benefit, somehow you came back from the dead. So risk management a lot of times gets people a little, you know, twisted, concerned, upset, and, and something you don't want to talk about. Why would I want to deal with risk management? Doesn't that stymie my returns? That not that just an expense that comes off? But Well, yeah. But what about risk management in times where markets are extremely bumpy, you want to hold positions, but you want to maintain some semblance of order on the downside? Well, you don't want to just go from $100,000 account to $50,000 account in a several months when all of a sudden a war breaks out or something horrible happens like another pandemic or I don't know, whatever it is. Or you have a extreme, I would say, lack of diversification and, and, a, and a heavy amount of concentration in one or a few names that really is going to move your portfolio around dramatically. Portfolio insurance and risk management, two totally different animals than what we think of when we think of regular insurance. Whereas, oh my gosh, I have to be hurt or dead or something awful for it to pay for it. Well, I mean, to a degree... When you're, the markets are sick, portfolio insurance can help. So the way I see it is as a hedge against the known or unknown. Think of it that way. It's a way to stay in the game and at the same time achieve some upside without risking too much on the downside. I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. A lot of people make it really complicated. In fact, there's a lot of complicated out there. I see these things come through my office, these structured products where brokers have sold this idea that, hey, look at all this. Well, if the stock market S&P 500 is above this certain level, you get this. But if it's below that, but not too much below that, you won't get any losses. But if you go down too much, you're going to get the losses. Very complicated. Hundreds of pages and prospectuses. Big commission, big sales charges, big win for you know who? The broker, the commission sales broker on that particular instrument is very well compensated. And I would say that probably for the most part, they don't even understand how this damn thing works. I have looked at these over the years and I have never found where this is really anything more than a highly commissioned, highly costly item benefiting from the complexity and the ability to confound and confuse the investor in an attempt to just okay, they'll just take it. Because it seems like from what they call it and what they describe it as a good deal, when in fact, it's too complicated, it's too costly, and I don't get it. If you have any of these structured products, you probably know what I'm talking about. They come in a lot of different paper. Look on your various brokerage statement, particularly from your um, highly compensated uh, commission-based brokers, and you'll see these somewhere on there. If you have those Probably it's difficult to get out, but I will share with you this. When the time comes for it to get out, you need to act fast because they will roll it over quickly without your knowledge if you don't say anything. And then you're stuck for another three years. So be aware. This is your warning. This is your alert. If you have these things, maybe you should look at them very carefully to understand 
exactly what they're doing and how there's any upside for you at all or if the benefit all is really going towards the brokerage and the brokers. So aside from that, I mentioned it doesn't have to be complicated. So are there any other ways, the simple ways to bring in portfolio insurance or hedging or at least some kind of risk management tools? And yes, there are. We've talked about this before. Again, there's a whole chapter in my book on all these different measures, whether we're going to do utilizing options and puts or covered calls or collars or we're going to do some other kind of things as simple as inverse ETFs or sell stops, utilizing automatic stops, limit stops, and things like that, or limits on short positions to get into a position over time. These are all, you have to know what they are, but they're not that complicated. And right now, one of the other hedges that you can use to a great effect is something that you probably haven't thought about for a while, and that is Simple old cash, because you can get in a money market four plus percent in a brokerage account. Schwab does, TD Ameritrade does, uh, Interactive Brokers does. Um, you can get at your bank account. Uh, you can get good interest rates there if you know what to do. Um, you can look at a variety of different places, whether it's, it's at a bank or a brokerage. You can get good interest on your money right now. And that becomes an alternative. In fact, it kills Tina. There is no alternative to stocks and things like that. It nullifies the idea of that cash is trash because now it's almost like getting a guaranteed or at least a, I don't want to say guaranteed when it comes to money markets because they're not guaranteed per se, but it is a money market with a good chance of low fluctuation, if any at all, and a 4 4.5% yield. It's like getting an ultra-short bond or a bond fund or a bond ETF with a 4.5% or 4% yield. But utilizing any of these as a place that will allow you to just rest, right? We're in the rest stage of this. We're in the stall stage of this. Wherever we are in our meat discussion is something that we want to consider for where we are with markets, not only equities, but also bonds and commodities, things of that nature. So right now, the idea of risk management is something that you don't want to explore on your own. Find somebody that can help you with this because now is a good time to think about whether it's just simple diversification outside of the areas that could be the most problematic. If, in fact, we are in an area that will all of a sudden return to higher inflation and a, and a more aggressive Fed and what happens with a, a valuation, um, I, I would say a, a revisiting of valuations uh, into that. Uh, and what happens to a variety of different investments if, in fact, demand starts slowing down due to the fact that the Fed is slowing down the economies? All these things put together brings you right to the same thing every single time. Proper risk management, diversification, hedging options, uh, utilizing something to make sure that you are not just stuck. And unless you are a perma-bull with a 25-year horizon, doesn't care how things shake out today, tomorrow, or the next five years, and all you care is the next, you know, something in the 25-year range, well, that's one thing. But the fact is that most of us want to have a little bit more sense of, of, of ability to sleep at night and consistency with our portfolios over time that will probably be like the tortoise versus the hare. Get to the same place, but without all the craziness in between. So think about that and utilize that. And that's my 
quick lesson, if you will, or my discussion for this week that I think would be of, of, of real good use right now uh, when it came to your thinking process. So whether you do it on your own or somebody else, uh, make sure to do something. That's all the time we got for today. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. Good guests coming up next week. Some cool stuff over the next few weeks. Thank you for being there. Make sure to subscribe. Tell your friends. Send a link. Send a bump. Send a, uh, uh, the, 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 the share button. Chew a friend about this podcast, The Discipline Investor. And I thank you so much. See you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.